I'm a creation of the 60s and the better part of the 60s when you could uh, discuss issues. You know, the, the counterculture was just forming and they were viewed like when I saw Allen Ginsberg at Binghamton University or Harper College, it was then, I thought it was uh, like a vaudevillian type act. I didn't take the guy seriously. He would come in a, in a robe and a shillelagh and, and prance around. And I, I mean, or, or Timothy Leary. I, didn't, I thought these guys were on the fringe area of show business. See, look, in the 60s, if you had long hair, a guy, a stranger who you didn't know, would get out of the car, tell you to get a haircut, and tell you to get a job. You know, he wasn't afraid of you. He, he fought the Nazis, he fought the Japanese. He's not gonna be afraid of some people with long hair and sandals. Uh, this is what's lacking. People are not standing up. It's frozen. The dialogue is frozen. This, without romance, uh, there's not much of a world. It's a very angry world. And uh, this was the 1950s. This was the 1960s. Uh, this was before thing, you know, Hugh Hefner came in commoditize things and it's just terrible. Roger, there's two things that I want you to know about. Number one, I'm the most open-minded person in this town. And I'm also a free thinker. But just because you're a free thinker doesn't mean that ultimately when you analyze things that you don't come back to some very traditional conclusions. So you can go on this journey of free thinking, of modernism, and of everything else, of reinventing the wheel, and you may find, uh, before you began your journey, that, that that was the right place to be in at all. And that's, that's something that uh, radicals, liberals, whatever you want to call them, extremists, won't acknowledge. They won't acknowledge it. That old ways are best. One thing is certain. Time does not stand still. Everyone has a story to share. And your story is no less important than anyone's. Make today the day you move forward and take action. Don't let another day slip by. Your story isn't over. This week on American Real, our guest is John Solak. John and I sat down for a two-hour interview that we decided to split into two parts. In part one, John describes himself as a product of the 60s and how as a young man he became interested in urban renewal, which was created at the time by MIT. He says this was a time period when the United States wanted to change the inner cities by introducing highways and busting up ethnic neighborhoods for political gain. He speaks about his activism and the importance of having colorful figures as leaders, describing many of them over the generations. 
In addition, John expresses his opinion on a number of topics, including the mob, big business, immigration, healthcare, government, creativity, the elite, and much more. By the end of part one, John opens up about why his activism is important in order to hold those in power accountable and says that he and others would be out of business if there was a track record for success. And now, I bring to you Mr. John Solak. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is John Solak. John, you're usually on this side of the camera. Welcome to the show. You, you got a great show. It's professionally produced. It's, you know, why do you want to finish it off with me? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, our mission is, it- is to share people's stories. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has a story. And um, you know what? I've been watching you for a lot of years. And, um, you know, I try to practice this myself, honestly. Like, there's always a pendulum. There's one side or the other. On, on virtually every topic that we could think of. And, and, and I think that's okay. That's what makes the world go around. That's what makes people work harder. And maybe point, you, you like to point out people's you know, flaws sometimes, and that's okay. I, and, and I've always just uh, really appreciated, actually, that you're not afraid to, to put yourself out there. So you're invoking the desiderata. You're, even the dull and uninteresting have their stories, and that's no. why I'm on. <laughs> no, 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 no. Go back to your younger years, and um, if you can, just give us a little bit about your uh, background, where you grew up, and, um, and I'd like to know what brought you to California. Well, I'm a West Side boy, uh, and... Uh, Went to St. James School in Johnson City. And uh, then uh, after some creative disagreements, uh, in eighth grade I went to the public school. So uh, I'm a hybrid in that area. We have that in common, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So I got to see uh, both things. And, uh, you know, in the uh, public school, kids used to come for religious instructions. The nuns used to say, hide your stuff, take your pencils, put them in the back of the desk. You know, the public school kids are coming, you know. And then when I got to the public school, uh, other than seeing uh, a, uh, a lady in a uh, vinyl miniskirt, which was a shock to the system, uh, things went pretty good. <laughs> and how did you end up in California? Well, the music business uh, took me out to California, and uh, it uh, moved. Uh, I started about 15, 16 years old going to uh, New York and caught the tail end of the uh, Brill Building. And, uh, uh, but uh, by then, the, the business was already moving to California, most of the business. So the, but I did see the tail end of that song plugger era, uh, and it was very interesting. And I understand you have quite the collection of records. Is that right? No, I actually sold all my records. I sold them. I started the guy, uh, John Trakansky, that had the records. Yes. I started him in business. Okay. I had gotten back from California, and I had to uh, pay some bills. And I had all these albums. And he came over, and he said, I'll give you, and I didn't take good care of my records. I'll give you $500. And there was like, thousands of albums, 
plus 45s. And I said, okay. He says, well, how many albums you got? And I said, well, I got 1,000 or whatever the amount was. And he says, okay, I'll write you a check. Well, my mother comes in, I'm younger. And she says, get the cash from him. Don't take it. I says, I know the guy, you know. No, no, take the check. So he comes back the next day with a yardstick. And he says, you know, I don't think you got as many records there as you're telling me. He says, because I just took 25 albums and there's so much on the thing. And he thinks, see, so he, he got me down another $100. So I lost 400 But I did start that guy in the business. He did credit me. And uh, he, he got my record collection, and I didn't know there was these lists, you know. But there was a doo-wop record in there, 45, and he got $300. So he, was, he got even with oh one, almost one record. Yeah. Wow, yeah. wow. But since that time, since you sold the collection, have you dabbled in it at all or, 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 or no? Uh, music, uh, no, it was a, uh, the, the, the 60s were very exciting in music, very exciting. Uh, 67, watershed year. And uh, as it went on, uh, about 1970, I lost interest because the innovation was, was uh, uh, you know, losing ground and uh, progressive rock, the top 40 was, was dead and that, that, that was the problem there. When WPLJ in New York went to progressive rock, that was like this watershed event. So now you had long, boring uh, recordings uh, and, uh, you know, it was just, it was the end of the hits. Okay. But music has been a love of yours for a long time. We even uh, talked uh, off camera a little bit about music. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but not now. Not now. Now now it's a freak show. It's uh, uh, demonic. It's uh, pornography and stripping have been integrated into this thing. Uh, if you look at the promos for the Grammys, it's like, uh, you know, it's like you're, you're walking into hell. No, it's, uh, well, Buddy Rich said it best. He's coming out of the Grammys, and they said, who did you vote for? And he said, uh, next, uh, he says, I've contributed to the deaf. Now he says, next year I'm going to contribute to the blind. So that was his uh, his take on them, and that was you know when there was still some music left. But I wouldn't be interested in it today. Okay. I wouldn't. Although if there are elements, for example, if you want to form a band, uh, here's the rules: you get a front man, Jagger, Jim Morrison, Robert Plant, Axl Rose, and what you do you Make sure the guy can sing, but then you take a shirt off and you walk him down to Venice Beach. And if there's girls turning their heads, then you got your front man. Guitar players are easier, but you do need a good drummer. And drumming is un, uh, you know, uh, underestimated as far as the thing. I mean, you know, but I mean, it's amazing. I mean, what if you look at, and this is why Kanye West is getting into preaching because preaching is a whole lot easier than the music business. I mean, if you look at what Metallica has got to do to make four or five million dollars, they've, they've got to come to an area, arena, you know, truck after truck, equipment yeah. after equipment. Uh, and then, you know, maybe maybe they do two nights, I don't know, in some stadium in the third world, and they, they take four million dollars out. But that's, that's if you look at what Benny Hinn does, uh, you know, he, he gets up there in his neighborhood suit and heels and... Uh, uh, you know, it's all cash. <laughs> so what happened, like, between, you know, the time of Elvis and Frank Sinatra? I mean, were those guys making big money back then? Yeah, they were, but they didn't talk about it. That's, mm. that's the big, big thing. And uh, uh, they, they, a lot of them were investing. I mean, uh, you know, show business was a great cash flow thing if you were in Southern California, invested in Southern California real estate. I mean, Lawrence Welk, Art Linkletter. Uh, even, in fact, most of the 
commercial property like in, in the 50s and the 60s was still owned by people that were silent screen stars. And, uh, you know, they owned, uh, Rodeo Drive wasn't, wasn't big, it was uh, South Beverly Drive. Okay. Rodeo Drive didn't come into play until like 69, 70, when, uh, and then, then it moved off. But the, the, the uh, Gucci and uh, Fred Heyman, Fred Heyman was the most interesting fellow, really uh, a great guy. Baron Hilton brought him out, or Conrad Hilton maybe, and brought him out. He was a hotel guy. Uh, and uh, he became uh, a merchant on Beverly Hills. He went into the rag trade, and he said, did you know anything about it? And he said, no, I, I didn't. He said, but uh, 90 days later when the bills came in, he said, I, I knew all I needed to know about that. But he, he started Giorgio, and uh, he sold uh, the fragrance alone for $170 million. And then, it's funny, him and a guy named Jack Taylor, who had a men's clothes, were right there on, right across from the Beverly Wilshire. And uh, Jack didn't own his building, but... Fred did, and uh, Fred Fred sold his building for a ton of money. Then he moved into a smaller shop. So, it, and this was when you were out there. Yeah, yeah. was well, this the late sixties or early? Well, 70s? no, I mean, right up until the nineties. You know. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, I was going back and forth. And how yeah. long were you? How long did you spend out there? Oh, I don't know, decade. Okay. Yeah. I don't see your views to be one side or the other. Right, you're just going for the truth. What? What is? If you could sum up, who is John Solak? Well. Who, I, who, who, what is it? What's your platform? I'm a creation of the 60s and the better part of the 60s when you could uh, discuss issues, uh, uh, when things weren't, uh, you know, uh, there were guys on TV. Joe Pine was one of them. Uh, uh, Alan Burke was on WNEW. Uh, the, there was active discussion. And, uh, you know, the the counterculture was just forming. And they were viewed like when I saw Allen Ginsberg at Binghamton University or Harper College as it was then, I thought it was uh, like a vaudevillian type act. I didn't take the guy seriously. He would come in a, in a robe and a shillelagh and, and prance around. And I, I mean, or, or Timothy Leary. I didn't, I thought these guys were on the fringe area of show business, which is a great area to be in. See, the fringes of any business are much more interesting than the actual business itself. So, so uh, well, the activism thing came about when Urban Renewal came in. I got involved in it, and it didn't fade. I'd never get involved in local government again because I know too much of the history. But And when is this, just to give us a time frame, 80s? Mid oh, no, this the Urban Renewal was in the 60s. I was very oh, interested. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it began, and uh, it essentially destroyed a lot of ways of life. It was... And a, for people that don't know what it is, John, can you just explain what was happening back then? with urban renewal? Why was it started? MIT created urban renewal. Pseudoscience. If it's not broken, we're going to fix it. So they wanted to change the inner cities and they wanted to do it through highways and through uh, the busting up of ethnic neighborhoods. Uh, this was deliberately done because a lot of the ethnic neighborhoods, the mixed ethnic neighborhoods, were Catholic. Uh, they thought they could make inroads into the democratic machines by, you know, breaking up the population, by putting people, uh, mixing people together. Because before, neighborhoods were clearly defined. You know, they were defined by blocks. They were mixed neighborhoods. And, and this was happening all over the country? All over the country, particularly New York with Robert Moses and, and the highways, and then in Philadelphia. Uh, ironically, the, the places 
and this was viewed in the places that to die for, uh, the Charlestons, the Savannas. You know, they didn't get involved in it. Even San Francisco didn't get involved with it too much, you know. Uh, L.A. did. L.A. created Bunker Hill in 1969 with uh, the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion and people were going to live downtown. It didn't catch on until, you know, about 10 years ago. But, uh, uh, you know, it was just devastating because it uprooted people. In this block here, we're talking about the Assumption Church being destroyed uh, by a combination, and that was, this is modernism we're talking about. We're talking about modernism in all its ugly forms, Catholic Church was going to Vatican II, uh, modernizing their church. Uh, they wanted to destroy pockets of resistance, and the Assumption Church here was pegged as a pocket of potential resistance. So, Because of Irish and, and, and Italian? Is that well, because they were saying the Mass in Italian. They knew that they were not going to go along with the Novus Ordo, the new Mass, or they were going to put up a, a, a fight on it. And so they figured if they could merge the two, churches, they would have a better better understanding. But, uh, you know, when you, uh, you know, it's just, it, it was just sad what happened. I mean, destroyed hundreds of jobs, displaced many, many people, uh, destroyed the vital. I mean, they're still trying to rebuild the downtown, uh, these downtowns that were destroyed by urban renewal, you know. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of money to be made, a lot, a lot of money to be made. I mean, uh, so that was 60s. It continued what for for a few decades. Well, we're still in we're still in urban renewal now. We're in urban renewal part three because a lot of the parcels. See, urban renewal said we're going to destroy. We're going to start with a blank slate. So, what would happen is invariably they ran out of money, and uh, they ran out of money. So you needed a phase two. Wanted a crab with her shirt in the stadium. That was that was essentially holes that were supposed to be filled in the 70s that, that weren't filled. Uh, the Urban Renewal Agency still owned property, you know. Uh, the Binghamton University Center was on a parcel that was bulldozed, you know, in the late 60s. So, And are you saying some of those things were mistakes or...? or Oh, yeah, because what, what we're trying, you know, all the bars and restaurants are in older buildings. And, you know, even look at Scranton, if you look at what's left is granted a lot more. They got, they, they weren't involved in urban renewal. You know, they, they took a flyer later with Steamtown Mall, but a lot of the buildings, I mean, you know, uh, are still there, you know. So they survived and they continued to thrive as they could right. to, throughout the, the, the periods. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're bulldozing something, you better have a, an idea of, of replacing it. I mean, you see the walkways to nowhere and, and things like that. Uh, a lot of these Things come out of Canada. Canada has, you know, if you if you go to Canada, essentially, their urban centers, uh, whether you're in Edmonton or uh, Calgary, you know, they all look the same because they were all done at the same time, mm -hmm. and and they all went on the uh, uh, on a model, uh, you know, that's discredited because you can take buildings and you can put plastic people in the buildings and say, well, these people are going to do this or that. I mean, look at Baltimore. There's a, an example. R Rouse Company uh, planned Baltimore. And uh, Baltimore was this working port, a, a, port a, a, a city of workers, of burly men, of, of, of tough and rough customers. Well, what did they do? They, they started with the aquarium. Uh, then somebody said, well, we need a baseball team. Now we put a football team. Now we put a gambling casino. And guess what? 
it's it's a hellhole. If you go, uh, you know, a mile and a half from, you know, Baltimore, where they revitalized this working port, it was a working port, and they made it into a pleasure type thing, it hasn't worked. And it hasn't worked for the people in the cities. You have to be very, very careful. If if some people are making a buck somewhere with a business, with a block of businesses, you have to be very careful and really know what you're doing if you're going to displace them. And you see it in Utica right now with the hospital. They're, they're, they're building this gigantic white elephant. They're trying to uh, really force the other two hospital providers out. They're, they're bulldozing buildings. They're, they're destroying people's ways of life. And uh, for what? Mm. Have you observed any cities that did it right? That um, I know you talked about like Savannah didn't do anything or Charleston. Maybe that was the right thing. But how about were there any cities that tried to do things better than, say, upstate New York cities or, or others? Well, is there a model city out there? Uh, cities are not just buildings. Cities are characters. And what you're seeing in me is the last of the characters. Every town had characters. People knew them. Uh, there was a guy here in Binghamton. His name was Andre. He worked. His real job was a night watchman at the post office, or he worked at the post office. He would have a BOAC or a TWA or an Air France shoulder bag, and he would have a, a, a cigarette holder, and he would sit there with opera clippings, and he would stand. He, he was a character. Uh, Johnson City had Harry Bloomer. He s would sell peanuts at the ballpark. He'd wear odd glasses, dress up as Santa Claus. These these were the characters. Everybody knew knew them and loved them. You know, when I go by in some of the houses. For my, you know, people don't last that long. They last about five years on the west side, I would say. So some of these houses have changed hands, you know, three, four, five times. The houses are just the houses without the people. And you call the house by the, the name, that's the, the so-and-so's place. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, we're in the healthcare business and the education business. These are not businesses that really inspire anything, uh, any creativity. They're very, very bland, bland uh, businesses. So uh, uh, when you lose your characters, and, uh, you know, you, you lose everything. And that's, in other words, it's not the buildings. It's, it's, the, it's the people up yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. What do you see long term? Like what, what are some solutions? Uh, there were great solutions 10 or 15 years ago. You know, we've missed a lot of solutions. Now, the, what's troubling is we always chase the last big thing here. And the millennials are getting older. Uh, they're going to have children one way or the other. I mean, uh, you know, people didn't leave the discos all at once, you know. So, you know, the, all of a sudden people left, they got married, they did their thing, and, you know, the, the crowd started thinning out. Well, finally, there's a guy with gold chains on saying, what the hell happened, you know. And this is this is what's going to happen to the millennials, too, you know. It's it's like one day the guy's got love beads on and he's doing it, and the next day everybody goes to work at IBM, and you know, it's all over except for him. What do you think about our millennial generation? <laughs> uh, and let's really talk about it. Like, I'd like to have a conversation. Well, they really are the lost generation. You know, <laughs> the beatniks were were wrong. This is really the lost generation because they're straddled with. Uh, you go back to the Chinese wealth doesn't pass three generations, so they're on the tail end of it, and uh, they they've got the debts, and they're mad, and they don't have their causes well organized, and they're they're foul mouthed. And uh, uh, there's, not, there's not a lot to good to say about them uh, at all. 
and they need to grow up, and they will grow up in a hurry, but they don't understand what they're in for. I mean... And, and we're generalizing them as the, the whole generation. Obviously, there's, 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 there's some really good, sharp, smart millennials. Oh, and, and most of them are immigrants. <laughs> you know, most of them, see, that, that's the beautiful thing about immigration. Number one, immigrants don't, they have a sense of humor, which is sorely lacking. I mean, you can go and talk to an immigrant of any, whether it's in the medical profession, you know, they get it. They get it. They'll laugh. They won't question, wait a minute, should I laugh here or not? You know, it's a punchline. You laugh. Right. You worry about it later. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, th that's the thing. Uh, people take themselves far too seriously now. And uh, they are, uh, you know, they're unwilling to entertain uh, the, the ideas. I mean, uh, if you look at pictures of the free speech movement in Berkeley, the original five, I knew, knew one of them, Sandor Fuchs, is still alive, I believe. It was my attorney on California. Hmm. Uh, they were buttoned-down people. They could work for IBM. I mean, you know, the Jerry Rubin stuff came later. But these, if you look, 1965, you look at the Berkeley free speech movement, these guys are straight guys, you know. Uh, they had issues. They could articulate the issues. Uh, so they weren't weirdos. They weren't thing. You know, the difference between we need more beatniks, less hippies. The, the hippies wanted to destroy society. The beatniks just wanted to live apart from society. So that's the, that's the difference there. So you're a product of the 60s. Um, you feel these, our character, we're losing our, our characters from, from our cities. Uh, the millennial generation is one that has come into, um, or, or is at the tail end of, of you said, uh, three generations of, 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 of debt. In other words, every, every, the, the commencement speaker says, well, you know, it's your turn now. Well, wait a minute, what'd you leave us? You right. left us nothing. You right, know? right, right. You know, you left us a, a disoriented uh, society, you know, where, uh, you know, we need to produce more people in education and healthcare so we can have more people in education and healthcare. You know, it's a perpetual uh, motion machine. So I, uh, uh, without, I mean, look, the country took a big bat, uh, you know, 2000. 9-11 uh, changed everything. It broke the spirit of the country. And now what we're seeing with extreme environmentalism, which is a, a uh, religious movement, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with saving the environment or solar energy or anything else. It's, it's a total fraud. It's a total concoction to rev people up to move to the next level of anarchy, which we're going to see if, see, look, in the 60s, a guy that fought in World War II, I mean, World War II wasn't that long ago. If you had long hair, a guy, a stranger who you didn't know, would get out of the car, tell you to get a haircut, and tell you to get a job. You know, he wasn't afraid of you. He, he fought the Nazis. He fought the Japanese. He's not going to be afraid of some people with long hair and sandals. Uh, this is what's lacking. People are not standing up. Uh, uh, and, and, and it's frozen. The dialogue is frozen. And is that really your platform? Is that, is that what it's all about? Is you're, 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 you're speaking up because no one is speaking up? Well, yeah, you at least see the small town cover is a problem because people are afraid to alienate because the towns are too are, are small. Right. But I would say this, that at least you've got to have Daily News or New York Post uh, standards where somebody's doing something and they're saying they've got to envision themselves. If they're doing something nasty, they've got to envision themselves being on the cover of New York Post and New York Post. That's a check. Holding people accountable. Yeah, that, that's the check. Yes. If it's, if it's not out. I mean, even the Scranton papers do a, a lot 
lot better job. You know, mm-hmm. they will go after people. They, mm-hmm. they, they, and it's not just going after them. It's just, it, you know, you're not engaging in, there was a, a movement here to silence people. And to say, if you're not positive, you're, you're, you're going to be a uh, negative. If you go back to Savin, remember that Canadian, mm-hmm. Canadian, you know, uh, Jeff Blatsky at the press was criticized roundly for exposing what was going on there. He was, uh, accused of being a detriment to the community. He, he's, when he's not just a, trying to do his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but, you know, it's interesting. IBM was one of the most creative comp, IBM was interesting. I worked there for a while, as everybody did, you know, everybody. But what's interesting about IBM is you would think that I wouldn't fit. I would not fit in an IBM. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely what, loved it. What did it. you do? I was a uh, process. And what was the title? I don't know. I was uh, I was a, a low man on the totem pole. But I was. Uh, in fact, what happened was they switched me. In, they interviewed me. They switched me into the sales department. I, 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 they wanted me to sell electrics. I said no, no, no. No, I want to go to the other place. Well, this, you know, this is not, you got to go over to the other building. So, you know, so, but it, it, I mean, it was, it was a creative place. It was, uh, the, what was commonly believed about IBMers was not true. It was, it was, uh, it was uh, a, a bad rap. And what's interesting about IBM for the weight that they had in the community, uh, they didn't exert pressure on the community. They let the community breathe. They let, let, Things you know work themselves out, and it it's it's interesting to me. You talk about decision makers. The, uh, Lou Gerstner made a decision. He saved IBM. He saved the company. I mean, how would you like to? I mean, imagine yourself. You're not in that business, and you're being ridiculed from the from from the the start, and you're three months from running out of meeting payroll. I think it was ninety six. Wow. So you got 225,000 employees. You won't be able to meet payroll. You've got Endicott to consider. You've got all these things to consider. The stock is down to $50 a share. And people are skeptical. Now, the guy before, Sam Palmasano, he wanted to split it up into five, six, seven, eight companies. I don't know what it was. But the only reason there's any IBM left here, and the only reason it wasn't completely catastrophic is because Lou Gerstner saved it. Wow. So that, that's the kind of decisions that you have to make. And you don't have, I mean, first of all, you need colorful leaders. If you don't have colorful leaders, and see, the reason that the 80s were a great time is because you still had personalities. And this is why I believe that Trump was successful, because in most people's minds, the 80s were good times. So Trump was the last big figure to come out of the 80s. I mean, Ayakaka's dead, uh, Larry King is, you uh, you know, not functioning too well anymore. Uh, so, so he, the eighties were good, good memories. And, uh, this, the, but you had, you had a structure in place and all life is theater. You had Pope John Paul II, you had Thatcher, you had Reagan, you had Gorbachev. Yes. So there was a, you could go to bed at night and say, well, I guess the world is stable, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because things can be worked out. And, and that was the thing about, uh, the sixties, you know, you had Adenauer, you had De Gaulle, you had Franco, uh, you know, you had, you, you knew that things were, you know, you had Kennedy, uh, you knew things, you could go to sleep at night, except during the Cuban Missile Crisis, but you could go to sleep at night knowing that the world wasn't going to fall apart. Right. Uh, now you don't have that, uh, you know, I don't have that assurance. Did you see the Irishman? Oh, geez, don't get me going on that guy. No, I didn't, and I won't. 
because okay. f- first of all, everybody in Northeast Pennsylvania, everybody in Endicott, everybody in Buffalo knows all about Russ Buffalino. My father worked with Russ Buffalino in, at the tannery. And uh, uh, Gov Guineri, that's where these guys started. And the interesting thing about it was is that George F. Johnson, of course, hated unions. So these guys were getting money from George F. Johnson. They're getting slabs of property, a piece of the action up here because to keep the unions out. And there was never any. And they were the, they were, the workers in the tannery were going down to Pennsylvania to unionize the, the dress factories. I mean, that's where the thugs came. So the guys that were working the tannery on weekends, they'd go, they'd go down there to, to, to create the unions. So, I mean, it was, uh, you know. Wow. And, uh, but anyway, Scorsese did a lot of damage with these mob movies. Did a lot of damage. Wow. And I so mean. did Brian De Palma. Uh, and damage that lasted generations. I mean, there's actually Russian mobsters and gangsters in Central America that have seen Scarface hundreds of times. You know, it's like the how-to right. book. But first of all, my first objective to Scorsese is he, he's made the same movie like eight or nine times. He got lucky with Goodfellas. That was fairly, fairly uh, uh, co- coherent. He's made the same movie with the same people over and over again. Uh, and is it because he's twisting reality, or or, or what? What about it? Don't well, don't he, you he's agree a Catholic. With? You're not supposed to, you know, when they give you the baptismal vows, they say something about the glamour of evil. You're not supposed to glamorize Except, evil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it was uh, again. You're back to the '60s with uh, Joe Colombo getting mm-hmm. shot in Columbus Square, and mm-hmm. you know these guys were up here. Joe Banana was up at the Arlington Hotel many, many times. Mm. Uh, and, I, I hear that was a beautiful building. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great building. I great, wish I, I never saw yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Great building. And uh, the uh, so we have we have the dichotomy here of the mob and IBM in the same village that was twelve or fifteen thousand people. Oh, so every day the IBMers would go to work, right? <laughs> and there was gambling. Uh, there was, uh, you know, I mean. <laughs> The odd thing about the mob here was they weren't involved. They were they were more into conning than thing, and they ultimately conned themselves out of a lot of things. But the thing about the Buffalino crime family, this has now become gospel. The reason they got away with it for so long is they weren't in a major media market. Mm-hmm. So if they were in Philadelphia, they'd be under the same scrutiny mm-hmm. that Angelo Bruno was and all those other people. So they lasted a long time here. I mean, I was told this in my 20s about Russ Buffalino, I was told, you see that guy there? You know, he looks like an old man. He can have you killed. So he, the, was he a Binghamton guy? Or where was he, uh, where no, did he, he live? Uh, I, they, they, his cousin was in Buffalo, I believe. Okay. Sta- uh, you know, and I think he came to Buffalo originally from Sicily. I see. Okay. So, so he's I, a Buffalo guy. Yeah, I think so. And then they filtered down this way uh, to Pennsylvania. There was a falling out. So he went down to uh, northeastern Pennsylvania. Now watch, you'll get all these emails about, oh, no, he's got it right. Because, uh, and again, this is all part of the glorification of the mob, which shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, people will uh, uh, talk about it. But, uh, you, you know, uh, there, were, uh, there was a Joe Barbera, Joe Barbara, whichever way you want to say it. Uh, I, I, gotta, I don't know if I want to tell that There was a cross that was burned on his grave. And this is in the 60s again. So you, uh, uh, he had died. He was at a Canada, uh, Canada dry bottling plant. And, of course, his 
house was used for the uh, 57 meeting. And uh, a cross was burned. And I think it says something like, Joe Barbera, you know, you, we'll see you in hell or something like that. And it ended up on the front page of the newspaper. And now I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But I went every Sunday, we would go to my father's grave. And, uh, you know, he died at 38. So we, wow. and we would pray the rosary. So we would drive through the cemetery, you know, a little bit. So oh, look, it's Joe Barbera's grave. Look, there's there's a charred cross on his grave. So at the time, they were the, they were paying news. I think it's five dollars for news tips. So I had mentioned it to somebody, and I said, "You can't do it." He said, "I got to get the five dollars." So he he called the press or the radio station, whoever was giving the five bucks, and he got the five oh bucks. Oh my gosh! So okay. Um the reason I brought that up is in the movie, I watched the movie about a week, week and a half ago, and in the movie they talked about, they showed what really happened or their mm -hmm. version of what really happened in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. And that was that the mob sent the arms down to, to the Cubans. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, yeah. yeah okay. I mean, yeah, I mean... Uh, Do you think that was true? Oh, sure, sure. It was the CIA. I mean, everything mm -hmm. that the Church Commission in 1975 dished up about the CIA is true. It, it just never was. But the way we were taught is that the arms came from Russia. Isn't that right? That Russia helped supported Cuba? Oh, sure. Yeah. sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, look, we had a big arms dealer, one of the biggest arms dealers in the world here in Binghamton. Right. And uh, he had his own... Going uh, to the Middle East, I think. Uh, sure. And he had his own uh, restaurant in the uh, Sissons building in the basement. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And th there were people, I knew people that came here from Cuba, came to Binghamton. These people are mostly dead now. And I said, and they came after the Bay of Pigs here, and they were hooked up with this guy. And I said, by the way, what, what does your father do for a living? Uh, you know, don't ask. Uh, these are guys that are oh, Cascadillo prep school guys, you know. And uh, so they had money. They, they had, had money. So they, but uh, no, this was, this was more than you know. This was a, a very, very interesting thing. There was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, thing but the the cia Har lee harvey oswald you know the whole nine yards yeah, thing, yeah. You, you you get into that but uh uh buffalino was was quite a character he's quite a character he repented i guess at the end of his life you know but uh, murdered a lot of people john um talk about the death of romance yeah it's dead i saw a kid i got Every time I see somebody holding hands, I, I want to give them, you know, money to, uh, because, uh, you know, and I have seen it, seen it occasionally. And I saw one car with a bench seat with a young kid stopped at a red light and his girlfriend was there and he was, and it was just tremendous. It was a tremendous thing. Th this, without romance, uh, there's not much of a world. It's a very angry world. And uh, this was the 1950s. This was the 1960s. Uh, this was before thing, you know, Hugh Hefner came and commoditized things, and it's just terrible. Because the the American high school was the ultimate, for 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 better or for worse, was the ultimate socialization in the fifties. You know, you had the these restaurants, malt shops, whatever. Right, the movie Grease, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it was real. You had the wigwam here at North High School. Yeah, I don't know what the place in Johnson City was called. 
Uh, you had something in Endicott. And, uh, you know, you could, you could put a car on the road for 50 bucks, you know, a hot rod. And, uh, you know, all you needed was the girl and going steady and all this stuff. This was, this was great stuff. And you it, think that's gone? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. And it's, it's too bad, you know, it's too bad. It's, it's sort of like when you take the mystique out of anything, uh, you ruin everything. When, you, when, you, when you're too clinical, uh, it's, it's uh, really uh, something that is uh, not great, and that's what's happening. I mean, you know, you turn on Wheel of Fortune, and you're exposed to these commercials uh, for all kinds of medical problems, and, and that sort of uh, doesn't lend anything to romance, you know. But it, it's, uh, it's, it's dead, and it's, uh, uh, you know, a beauty has been destroyed. It's been, been destroyed. Number one beauty destroyers in America are orthodontists. Uh, if you look at pageants, beauty pageants, what few of them are left, and you look at the contestants, you'll see uniformity. And you'll see it in terms of the dental work. Whereas if you look at the, the, the real beauties of the past, whether they be Grace Kelly or uh, Jackie O or whoever you want to consider, uh, they don't have corrected dental work. And that, and that, that is what, what makes, Ava Gardner... Makes people unique, right? Yeah, Those sure, are, sure. Yeah. And uh, that's, uh, so, so the orthodontist destroyed a lot of uh, mm. uh, potential uh, starlets, you know, Gina Lola Brigida, all those people. But romance, without romance, there is, uh, and it's, it's, it's sad. It's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, big weddings, big weddings, and, you know, do the marriages last? I don't know. They're not on track to last. There's not enough respect for women. And women are playing into it by trying to be competitors to men. They are competitors to men. They're winning. You know, <laughs> Lee Kwan, the prime minister of Singapore, and most of the professionals in Singapore are women. You know, they're, they're the dentists, the doctors, the lawyers. And he was, he was an outspoken, one of the greatest political, world political figures ever. I don't know if you know he's still alive, but they wanted to get him into Vietnam, and he wouldn't go. They wanted to use Singapore as a base, and mm. he, he stood fast against that. Most intelligent guy. And he gave a, an address to the nation, I think it was in the 80s, maybe it was in the 90s, and he said that women have to get married and have children. And uh, he said, and he essentially said something like this, you think the guys with, that are driving the rickshaws are better than you. You know, you need those guys. You need to start a family. You know, you've got your career going already. So, you know, now I say I put my foot in the mouth and now I'm going to get hate mail and death threats and everything else. But it's, uh, there is some, look, Roger, there's two things that I want you to know about me. Number one, I'm the most open-minded person in this town. And I'm also a free thinker. But just because you're a free thinker doesn't mean that ultimately when you analyze things that you don't come back to some very traditional conclusions. So you can go on this journey of free thinking, of modernism, and of everything else, of reinventing the wheel, and you may find, uh, before you began your journey, that, that that was the right place to be in at all. And that's, that's something that uh, radicals, liberals, whatever you want to call them, extremists, won't acknowledge. They won't acknowledge it. That old ways are best, a lot of times. Where do you sit politically? I'm a reactionary. I'm a reactionary. Uh, the 60s, I mean, I was telling somebody just a few minutes ago, you had Al Capps, uh, the cartoonist, who was 
uh, he became a conservative, and he was actually the Rush Limbaugh. He didn't have a radio show, but he was the back then. Yeah. Okay. And there was a. And my, it, it wasn't in Syracuse. It was in Toronto. Lenin and o Yoko were doing these uh, these mm -hmm. uh, sit-ins or bed-ins, whatever they call them. In fact, they didn't pay their bill at the Toronto Holiday Inn. Oh, they they had just built the Toronto. And they had to be sued. But anyway, they invited Al Caps up, and you know the Lenin's entourage was giving him a trouble. What are you doing here, man? You know you and 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 Al Capps says, "Well, you invited me here, you know." So that that was the thing. But there was there was much more good humored uh, uh, dialogue. There was actual dialogue. What what troubles me is, I mean, you've got a school of leadership. And let me get kind of yourself, Binghamton University. I know some of those people. Uh, I've never seen anybody up there take a principled stand on anything. On anything, and yet they're teaching leadership. I mean, I, why is it? Because, why? Because they're cowards, and because the times. See, nobody wants to say anything in front of their colleagues. The worst sin that you could commit is being uncool, saying something inappropriate, saying something that that. For, so people are afraid to talk. Sure, they're, they're afraid, afraid to, to express talk. themselves. And this is the great thing about Trump, is that he, he's what I've termed the new American bluntness. You you don't have to. Uh, Watch your words to, to get your point across. You know what people say and what they mean. And, uh, you know, you're allowing one set of people to have freedom of speech, and you're not allowing the other set of people to have any, and you see this now with the university here. University's got big problems. Binghamton University's got big problems, and, and one of the problems is it doesn't have an identity. It's failed in its core mission of creating an identity. Uh, it had an identity when it was Triple City School uh, College. Everybody knew what it was. It was in an old airplane hangar in Indycon. Uh, Harper College, a distinctive identity. Now, what's happened since the 70s and the 80s? Well, there was a school that was lost. They changed their name three or four times. I know people that have graduated. They've had to have their diplomas. Sony Bingham. Yeah. They, they, yeah. yeah. Uh, they changed their name. They branded now they, they say, well, BU is Brigham Young or BU is Boston, Boston University. Yeah. They want to change the mascot. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, there are elements up there that are very fine and doing well. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, you've had at least two failed managers up there. I mean, Lois DeFleur was a complete failure. So, I mean, yet she was, uh, uh, you know, to get some sort of truth, yet there was an article about her with a relationship on the board of NYSEG. And, to find that article, you had to go to the Village Voice to find it. Hmm. So uh, if we just treat each other like humans, and I get a, I, I walk a lot. So I walked up Main Street the other day, in fact, twice during the day. You know, it's a different story. When you're not in your car, this, is, this has become like Los Angeles used to be. You know, you're in your car and you're just going and you're not walking. I mean, you're making all these walkways and river walks and walkable cities. No but either. nobody will walk yeah. up Main Street. You know why? Because they're scared. Because you know why? The people are uncool. They're unpolished. They may be on psychotropic drugs, but they're people. They're people. And you'll get panhandled. So, you know, you carry some, some single bills with you, and mm -hmm. you, you, you embrace uh, your brothers. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's sad what's happening to the town. It's very sad. And uh, one of the worst things is when you go into the search engine and you put in Binghamton, Binghamton University comes up, you know. So I'm for... Uh, the Binghamton people, what's left of them, you know, uh, and, you know, we, we have to do something for them. And it's, uh, it's, it, there's, there's, you know, I don't know what we do. We, you know, 
So, John, when you approach a politician or anyone, and you, oftentimes you'll record it, or mm -hmm. um, what's your what's your purpose? Like, what, what? So, you may have something, maybe something happened, right? And you're trying to get a reaction, and then a lot of times I see you'll get the cold shoulder. Or, or mm -hmm. so, are you just trying to get? Are you, are you trying to get some conversation going? Sure. And what's interesting is these are community people. Some of these people make 500000 a million three a year, and they won't answer simple questions about their operation. Now, they might think it's odd, but, I mean, uh, I had a conversation the other day with Mark Newman, the big developer. Now, he knows how to handle it. You know, he knows how to handle it. We talk, and... Uh, he he answered my questions and he had to go and that, that that's fine but you but he answered them yeah sure so were you oh oh yeah okay yeah. And that, that, that was good that, yeah absolutely yep. uh, what happens is when you have a memory of of of, of something and I have a, a historical memory of where this local governments went bad and again see John Solak would be out of business as a critique or a, a, a gadfly or whatever an instigator, he'd be out of business if we had a track record of success. In other words, mm -hmm. if, if success speaks for itself. So if all these schemes that they've engineered from EIT to lithium batteries, if, 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 they, they, if they deliver, there'll be no problem. I'll mm -hmm. be out of business. You know. Are there folks like you all over? Yes. And, and, and how would you classify it? You're trying to get to the, to, to the bottom of things? I mean, at its root, what, what are you trying to do? Well, the way the city council meetings used to be here are still going in Scranton because there's people that know the history of Scranton. And there's, you, you know, I mean, in other words, here's the best way I can, people get elected to these, or they're appointed to these positions. Right. And it goes to their head. You know, they, they, and, you know, they come back with their first pair of Gucci shoes. Now, what, what, the, what the residents of Scranton or the residents of Bay, you got to put them in their place, you see. And that's, that's what people used to be able to do. You know, I mean, again, you go back to the World War II guys. You're, you're not going to, to con them. You're not going, they're not, they'll, they'll stand up to you. They, you know, they fought the Nazis. They fought the, the Japanese. They're not going to knuckle under. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you don't have freedom of speech, if you don't have uh, skills to being a leader, to answer questions from just a little guy out on the street that asks you a couple of questions like, what about this, what about that, then, then you're not a leader at all. You, again, these things are, they're, they're operating, uh, they're not operating cross-pollinating. The, the university world is their world. They have a committee, 13, 15, 18 people that decide what lights to put on the tower. You know, if, there's, if they want to honor somebody, you know, oh, Jesus, is, turquoise, is, is turquoise offensive? You know, yeah. so th these aren't leaders. They're, they're not leaders. They're, they're, they, uh, first of all, a leader has to be colorful. You're, you're seeing that. You're seeing that. I mean, Sanders, at least, Bernie Sanders will, will, will you know, commit faux pas. Uh, you, you want people to, you know, where you stand. I mean, this is why extremism is good, especially in religion. Because what, the last thing you want is a religion of religions where everybody gets a seat at the table, everybody gets equal time. You, you want the orthodox people in the religion because they're, they're, the, they're the truth tellers. And that's why, believe it or not, people that are orthodox, traditional in nature, they get along with each other, even though they have com completely different viewpoints. Because they respect yeah. each other's yeah. viewpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you, I know you're Catholic. Where do you stand on religion? Well, we're, we're, we're seeing... What we're seeing now, we're in a in a period of uh, tumult. This is this is about the uh, 
sixth modernist guy that we've had in Pope. And you know, it's funny, when Sinatra was in Binghamton, this, this is, he was, uh, I think it was, it was here twice, I don't know, I think it was the first time, so it was 76. So he's on stage, and Pope John Paul II just gets uh, his papacy. And out of the blue, you know, like Sinatra would do, you know, he'd, he'd say, hey, how about that Pope, you know? <laughs> and, you know, everybody applaud or something. It's, I think he'll loosen up after a while. I mean, you know, I mean, in other words, and, and that, that, and it's funny, I, I'm surprised that that didn't make national news. See, that's something that I would have seized on as, as if I was doing this, Important, because yeah. that was a quote that was, because it showed you a lot about, you know, I mean, God bless him, he was in show business. Show business, you know, is a degenerate business. And that, that, that's what his viewpoint was, is that things had to be loosened up yeah. to, to, to conform to his, you know. Right. <laughs> so, but uh, the, the Catholic Church uh, will always exist. And, you know, people laugh at people that pray the rosary or the daily mass people, and we're losing those people day by day. And those are the people that are keeping uh, the hammers of hell from happening here. Those are, that's, that, and as we lose those people, those devout people, those people, uh, the faithful, uh, were in danger, were in danger, because the, the, the church is going to function. It may not be an administrative church like it is today, but it's going to function, and it's going to function by the, by the faithful. It's not going to function by the people that have the keys to the building at any given moment. But mm. uh, we're, we're in a very, very dangerous, you know, one of the things that shaped me was the Fatima apparitions. Now, this is in the late 50s. My mother was a churchwoman. She hung around with other churchwomen. This was the coffee talk, the apparitions of Fatima. And in 1960, there was going to be the secret, the secret, the third secret of Fatima, which was being held back, was going to be released. And I kept saying, geez, it's only a year and a half. I can't wait. You know, and, and For the secret to yeah, be revealed. Yeah, yeah, and this was a secret that... that How long was, was it building up for? Well, since... Uh, uh, the, 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 the presentation was an oral presentation to the kids. It was later, uh, Sister Lucia was the surviving one. The other two kids had died. And she, I, I think it was in the 40s, was, had to write it down. She was ordered by the bishop to write it down. She was having trouble writing it down. But she did get through it and write, write it down. It was supposed to be released. And uh, Our Lady clearly said, that in 1960, and it will make sense. Now, this is 1917. It will, it will make sense then. And uh, bits and pieces have drug out. Malachi Martin, uh, the famed Jesuit author, said he saw the secret, he read the secret. Before it came out. Be yes, yeah. It was in, uh, Pius had it in his, uh, in, a, in a box, I think, in, in his living quarters. And... Uh, Bits and pieces of it, but, but when it wasn't released, what I'm getting at is when it wasn't released in 19, this was a watershed event. And then you had Vatican II operating at the same time. So this destroyed people's faith. It, it, was, it was... So it was never released? Uh, they, they, they have not released it, no. It was, it was bits and pieces, and they tried to interwove in it. And, and really what the, what the commandment was, and this is 1917. It's in Portugal the government and the press is against the Catholic Church. And you see the sun spin, you see the pictures of people in the mud. You know, so this was a well-documented event. And uh, 
it was an event that was very powerful and had to do with Rome losing the faith. As other apparitions have said, that the Church of Rome will lose the faith. And it also stated the errors of Russia. Now, keep in mind, 1917, this is just uh, months away from the uh, assassinations of the Tsar so, uh, and his family. So this was, was, was big. Mm-hmm. And Pope John Paul II did a, a version of what was instructed, Our Lady instructed the consecration of Russia, which means that every priest and every church everywhere at the same time, and the Pope is going to lead this. Well, he went to Fatima, and he started, you know, uh, praying for people of various nations, and then Sandra said, and Russia too. You know, well, that wasn't a, a legitimate, because he was afraid to challenge. Look, uh, 250 cardinals, Khrushchev held 250 cardinals captive in Russia that couldn't go to Vatican II. Uh, Cardinal Menzendi was, couldn't leave, uh, you know, uh, his uh, residence was held. You know, th- th- this was, you know, but after Fatima, after Vatican II, and it's not well Hundreds of thousands of priests left the church. They gave up. They saw the, the handwriting on the wall. Now, this does not mean that your local priest uh, is uh, uh, doesn't believe. This don't. I mean, you know, the, your local priest. You know, it's a tough job. I mean, you're talking about something that was up here, and it's a lot, lot like being a cop. It's a lot like being yeah. a cop. You couldn't have any higher position in the 50s and the 60s in a Catholic town than being a parish priest. Well, now it's it's diminished. Now, you know, but, you know, you, you've got to give people the benefit of the doubt, religious people, because in this particular diocese, compared to other dioceses, the, the complaint list is, is, is much shorter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Are you still practicing? Uh, no, not in that sense, in that sense. The Novus Ordo... Mass, I will at some time, hopefully, before I die. The, the Byzantine order is a possibility if they'll take me back. But I'm not a, I, I'm not a guy that people would like to have in, in their church. I, I, that's the problem. I mean, I, I'd have to work some sort of deal where I'll sit in the back, shut my mouth. Of course, you shut your mouth in the church. But I, I don't think that any pastor would, would like to have me in their church. If there's a, a, a guy, you know out there that, that will invite me. I'll sh- promise to shut my mouth. But I, I, I wouldn't want them if I were you. You know, the best sign, I don't know where it was, in the confessional, was, there was a sign that said, don't tell us why you did it. We only have one priest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people... Right. <laughs> so tell us about the 2020 census. Oh, jeepers. What's your thoughts on that? Well, that's where... Uh, the reality is going to be uh, separated from fantasy. See, we're New York 22, and we're going to lose a congressional seat. Now, it's going to be interesting. Why do you say that? Well, the population, you know, is, 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 is down. I mean, just, I mean, conduct your own, look at the old When you say we're going to lose, what do you... What, well, I'm talking about New York 22. I'm talking about Broome County. Okay, so yeah. our area won't yeah. have the representation. Right, right. I mean, it's been a long time since we've had representation, right? Well, we've lost the the Hinchy district was created like in '74. You know that was and that's gone Matt now. Yeah, that's yeah. well Delgado's got it. Yeah, right. Delgado's got it. That goes up and down. Yeah, but uh, uh, this this congressional election is going to be the last 
last congressperson probably with New York 22 configured as it is. I mean, it's not going to remain the same. The district is going to be either merged out of existence or, 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 or whatever. But uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting thing. It's a great time to uh, – because it's going to be a battleground. And uh, what did you ask me? Oh, the 2020 yeah. census. Yeah, okay. So here's the, here's the d dichotomy. We want to be successful. And we want to create this narrative. Now, the narrative is in place. I mean, if you go to Ithaca, it's a successful town. It has poor people. It has street people. It has a lot of problems. But you know what's there. Now, what, what, what the problem with the university is, it hasn't, here, it hasn't been around long enough. So you're, you're trying to form an economy based on university and health care. And it's, it's, there's no trickle down for the, for the local residents. And they're, they're uh, you know, it's interesting, speaking of unions, you know, you've got a non-unionized healthcare sector here, and those people are being taken advantage of. They're being taken because from a pay standpoint. Sure, sure, mm -hmm. and uh, that is is very, very bad. But see, here here's the fine line. If you got a conservative agenda in New York 22, but we use all the social programs, people aren't doing well here. So you can't go back, say, to Pat Buchanan. We're going to get these welfare people, you know, we're going to get these Goldbergers because we depend on the money. And every municip municipality here is getting money not based on success but based on failure, pervasive poverty, economic distress. This is how you get the money. This is how the grants thing. You don't get the money if you don't, don't have it. So census tracts are these micro, could be just one building, could be one, a census tract, you know. So somebody, and this has happened in New York State, where a school district in a census tract, somebody wins the lotto, and, and that skews every, everything yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow. we're, we're, we're playing the federal money handout game, and, but we're, we're trying to create an illusion that we're really the successful town. When, uh, you know, so it's, it, it, it's very, very difficult because, and uh, it's going to be a very, very bitter campaign. I expect, if people are thinking that Brindisi will be challenged by somebody from the left, uh, if they're if they're well organized, they should be able to mount a challenge because he's he's got a needle that's impossible to thread, you know, uh, and uh, you know, uh, and and that's just it. But it's it's going to be you know it's it, it's it's a terrible thing that we we don't have great congressional representation, and we haven't had it for a long time. I mean, Hinchy and McHugh were class guys. They were cl classy public figures, but they, they didn't do a lot. I mean, they just rattled off the defense contracts, which were already mm -hmm. already based in. So uh, basically, are, are you saying that we, because of all this, we're, we're kind of left out? We are. We're part of Appalachia. Yeah. You know, all, all the, all the we're, we're, we've missed, we were participating in the 80s. Money Magazine, Binghamton, New York, yeah. high tech, yep. I remember. a top thing. This, mm -hmm. this, this, was, this was a great thing. We were going to be the next Austin. Mm -hmm. Well, they squandered it. Local political leadership squandered it. First of all, there was an effort to keep people out of here. Mm -hmm. You know, Wegmans was an example. They were kept out. Uh, Kroger, every, 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 there was one time where every major supermarket chain wanted to come in here, and they were kept out. And, uh, you know... Uh, just because the, the, the ordinance couldn't get passed well, it's, or the zoning or whatever well, it was at the time. It's a narrow valley, and certain families own a lot of real estate in the narrow valley. And uh, I, I, they set up these businesses, and they didn't want competition. They, they, they felt that was the way to go. Well, mm -hmm. they, they wised up 
sort of at the tail end that maybe, you know, maybe they couldn't control things. But, you know, it's, uh, it's the, the 2020 census, we're going to lose representation, we're going to probably lose a lot of federal money. Mm. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a creativity, real creativity is what you want to have. What does that mean? Number one, it means cheap rents. Reason, Austin, Texas, until recently, had cheap rents. How, Very, do you, how do you enforce that? What do you mean cheap rents? Well, every creative scene, I'll take you back to Greenwich Village. Okay. Uh, Chelsea Hotel. Mm-hmm. Bob Dylan. Everywhere from Bob Dylan to Sid Vicious, stay there. This guy kept a ledger. He says, pay me when you make it. Leonard Cohen, Janis Joplin. He always got paid. Uh, that's what you need. Because creative people are very, very bad with money. They don't care but about But we need them. We need them. And you, you need real creative people, not people that are all spend all the time hustling government grants, mm-hmm. people that are entrepreneurial in nature. I, I'll mention two. Warhol, mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Frank Zappa. He was, he was essentially, uh, they were losing patience with him. MGM Records funded his projects. And they were losing patience. So he rented a theater in the village during Easter week. He started with one week, and the thing got so popular, it was three weeks. He was packed every night. I think it was a couple of thousand people. But he, was, he knew he had a, an act. He knew he was weird. He had to, had to make his own shows, and he caught on like wildfire. Brother Theodore, I don't know. He was a fringe character. I don't even remember. He was, he's been on Merv Griffin and Letterman. Uh, he had an act. Uh, he was like Monty Rock and uh, a Brother Theodore and... Uh, Erwin Corey, you know, they were like these fringe characters. But anyway, he had an act. He did a one-man show. He was a Holocaust survivor who was a janitor in New York City. He wanted to be in show business. And he created his, his own show in New York. And that's, that's how you do it. So you need cheap rents. Uh, grunge with Cobain. Uh, Cobain was renting a garage apartment. He couldn't even afford it. It was $200 a month or something like that. So if we're talking to the, if we're talking to the landlords in the area, what do you say to them? Like, oh. Give me some ideas. Well, I hear you. I, I, I agree that we, we, we need creative people, mm-hmm. and we have to give them a break because it, t- it takes time mm-hmm. to make it. Well, and hopefully they don't forget yeah. where they came from. The, the, first of all, you want there's two kinds of creators. There's the guy that wants to sleep on a couch and dream that he's the next Johnny Cougar Melancholy. Right. You know that, that, that you don't know. But if, if if people are making their calls, if they're making their they're creating art. And by, by the way, we've got a lot of good art. Let me let me say this: we've got a lot of good modern art here. A lot of good art. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it. And those people should be rewarded. We've got uh, artisans too. So, But you need cheap rents and you need uh, unrestricted access. Let me give you an example. I went up once, and this is in the early 70s, uh, London, Ontario, University of, what was it? University of London, I forgot. Anyway, they, they got me up there. They were going, they were going to teach recording. They were going to teach recording business. So I said, geez, you, you look like our, our kind of guy. And they had a brand new uh, board. It was 100000 They had the best equipment, better than Trident in London. And the guy that was running the program, I said, well, what are you going to do? We're going to teach people. I said, are you going to teach them how to make records? Or are you going to teach them how to re- just record? Because making records is very, very different than what you've got here. The equipment, you've got so much good equipment here that this is detrimental uh, to anything uh, that's on the charts now. You're not, you're not going to be able to do it. So it's... it's uh, you you have to have, uh, and again, this goes back to characters. You know, the, it takes all kinds. If if people don't have, 
you, you know, Picasso. Uh, these people are bigger than life. Salvador Dali. You have to have that. In politics, we're all becoming smaller than life here. We're all becoming file clerks. And, and uh, you know, that, that, that's the problem on the world stage. You, you need people that, that, I mean, who can you say in the business community that's electrifying, you know? Uh, in fact, a lot of these people are downright mean, and they're, they're not nice people, and they're, they're not good people either. Bill Gates and his wife, they're not good people. It's interesting you say that. Yeah, they're mean people. They want to sterilize people. Think about this. You've got all this money, right? You're a Bloomberg. You're a Bill Gates. And what's your only concern? See, because in my favorite scene in the movie Wall Street, when Mike Douglas is in the limousine, he's looking out at a homeless guy, and he says, you think there's that much difference between us and, and that guy? And there's not. But see, what when a guy suddenly gets money or when a guy's driving his car, he thinks he's got the answers to the world's problems. So he looks at this poverty. He looks at the, he says, I, I, I want to control those people. I want to stop them from reproducing. I want to stop them from the only thing that they have, which is their DNA, which they might, you know, there's a lot of people in anybody's family history, they're just like pass-through agents. They, didn't have, they don't have any great accomplishments. They just get going for the next generation, right? So you, you want to limit people uh, in countries that don't have anything what, that, to thinking that and you want to vaccinate them and you want to do all this crazy stuff. No, these are not nice people. Uh, they're the Illuminati. They're, they're, they're the elite. Uh, and anybody that stands up to them is, is, is going to have a problem. Now, you know, so you're going to be shouted down. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review, as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we can help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. And speaking of podcasting, our next course will be starting soon. So if you're interested in launching your own podcast, join me and podcast your passion. I'll take you through my eight-week course where I'll mentor you to build a world-class podcast. I'm only taking on a small group of people who want to share their passion through broadcasting, where I'll have you up on iTunes and YouTube within weeks so you can podcast your passion. Click on the link below for more information. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.